It was 500 years ago on February 19th, yeah, 19th, 1519, that the Spanish explorer Hernan Cortes set out from Spain with 11 ships, 13 horses, 110 sailors, and 553 soldiers. He had done so to explore and to find a new world and establish a colony there in Mexico. The indigenous population upon his arrival was 5 million. Hardly a ratio for success. But even though two previous explorations had failed, Cortez's succeeded. Why? You know the story. There were 11 ships on the coast of Veracruz, Mexico, which is today a resort, you know. You see it, but sandals, Veracruz, all right? He issued the order, burn the ships, except one, because he was going back. They weren't. As the men on the shore watched all but that one ship burn, they came to the realization that retreat was not an option. They weren't going home. Now, please put aside the political debate about whether colonization is a good idea. All right? That's a, that's a discussion for another era, another time. But it's a point that I'm making because here what we have in Luke's passage is a widow who has put aside everything for the Lord. She's counted the cost, and she put everything in the offering box for the poor, (laughs) of which she was one. And what we have to learn here today is a kind of burn the ships mentality of living the Christian life that I think we can all learn from this widow. So I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 21. If you're a guest here this morning, you'll find it in the back of your bulletin. For today in our tradition is what we call Commitment Sunday or Stewardship Sunday. We've been talking for the past three weeks during the ministry minute, being good stewards of our time, being good stewards of our ministry, making sure we're using our gifts for Him and glorifying Him in all that we say and do. And today we make our commitments for 2020 and our financial pledges. And this is for every single one of us, both young and old. This is for you teenagers as well as the oldest person. And if you didn't realize who the oldest person in our congregation is, Alice Throop celebrated her 109th birthday this past week. 109. The woman saw the end of World War I. So praise God. And Alice, when talking to her, she is today a good steward and very much cares about giving of her time and what ministry she can give. And yes, even her finances. She's a good model for all of us. So let's look at this story. It's a very quick four-verse story. Jesus is sitting in the temple. Since Luke 9, verse 51, his eyes have been set toward Jerusalem. 
And we've heard of that repeated over and over and over. And next week we're going to see our Jesus, our King, lifted high upon the cross again as we wrap up Pentecost season. And so we see Jesus is there in the temple and he's just people watching. You know people watchers. Just sitting at a, at a crowded cafe, just watching people go by. It's kind of fun, right? And give their backstories for them. You know, it's a lot of fun. So Jesus is watching all these wealthy people drop money into the offering box. And then he notices a woman because her two, cop, two copper coins hardly make a sound as they drop into the offering. And he makes the point to all within earshot that she's given more than everybody because she gave all she had. What can we learn? I think John Calvin correctly saw Jesus' words as a double-edged sword um, encouraging those who have little, but a sobering exhortation to those with much. He remarks, the lesson is useful in two ways. The Lord encourages the poor who appear to lack the means of doing well, not to doubt that they testify to their enthusiasm for him, even with a slender contribution. If they consecrate themselves, their offering, which appears mean and trivial, will be no less precious than if they had offered all the treasures of Croesus. That means even if you're filthy rich. <laughs> On the other hand, those who have a richer supply and stand out for their large giving are told that it is not enough if their generosity far exceeds the commoners and the underprivileged. For with God it rates less for a rich man to give a moderate sum from a large mass than for a poor man to exhaust himself in paying out something very small. See, realizing that Jesus' commendation of the, of the widow kind of cuts both ways like that. What do we learn from this widow? Well, I think we learn five quick observations. The first being that the posture of our heart makes all the difference in the giving of our lives, both our time and our ministries and our treasure. You know, when I fill out my taxes at the end of the year, by April 15th, I pay it all. The IRS doesn't care what I'm thinking about it. It doesn't care whether I give willingly or grudgingly, which most years it is pretty grudgingly. Lovingly or hatefully or joyfully or sadly. The IRS just cares whether I pony up or not. Friends, it's not so with the Lord. The Lord sees the quantity. The world sees the quantity. The Lord sees the quality. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 3, If I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. So if I give a penny with a heart like the widow's, it's a great gain to God and to me. See, God weighs our motivations. How do your motivations weigh? So number one, the posture of our heart matters greatly to the Lord. Secondly, giving that pleases God is giving that costs us. 
We must give in such a way that we forego some things. We do without some things. Some things we would like to hang on. Travels foregone. Cars that we repair instead of turning in and getting another one. Clothing that we forego. Pleasures that we put off. David is a great model for us. David was one of the most wealthy men of his day. And in response to Aruna, the Jebusite's generous offer to David, Aruna offered his threshing floor for David so David could offer sacrifices to the Lord there. And he said, my master, it's yours. You can have it. And David answered, no, but I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord, my God, that cost me nothing. And David paid him. See, giving that costs us is giving that is pleasing to God. C.S. Lewis wrote, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc. is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own. We're probably giving away too little. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things we would like to do, yet cannot do, because our giving excludes them. So our posture in our giving matters to the Lord. And our giving that pleases God also costs us. Three, God can do a great work with a tiny offering. Think about it. These two pennies in today's world, copper coins is probably worth about a penny, you know, given quietly with a pure heart from the widow's motive have produced more for the kingdom of God in their intervening 2,000 years than all the other Christmas and Easter offerings that we've ever offered. Down through the ages, these two little coins have been multiplied into absolute billions of dollars for God's work given because humble people have been liberated to give from their little or from their abundance. If there is love in the gift, there is spiritual power in the gift. And in this respect, we can say that what the church needs is not larger gifts, but gifts given with the sacrificial attitude of this poor widow. Jesus meant to encourage, no matter where you are in your financial situation, this is an encouragement. Fourth, you know at the judgment, Christ will settle all accounts. (laughs) You know, there's no evidence that this woman ever knew that Jesus knew what she gave. There's no evidence that she ever became a prosperous person. We do not even know her name. In fact, since the final judgment and the ultimate bestowing of eternal rewards is still to be a future event, stay tuned, Advent's coming, there's every possibility that she may not know even to this very day. Because we don't know. But when Jesus comes again, 
He's going to reveal her work to the millions of people across the world who know him and follow him. And we're just going to rejoice with her over her beautiful crown. And the crown of our widow's sister will be glorious because he's going to say to her, I saw what you did. And God has used the meager offering, what you thought might have been little, but you gave all you had. Encourage my people for years. So my friend, at the judgment, Jesus will square the accounts. And the last point is God is beautifully equal opportunity. There's no advantage to the rich in their giving. There's no advantage to the poor in their giving. There's no advantage to the less educated or the highly educated, to the well-known or the literally unknown. Tim Keller and John Piper have no advantage over us as we give today. And so when we look at the generosity of this, this widow's offering, you think, who lives like this? Does anybody live like this throughout church history? Yeah, there have. Paul wrote about them in 2 Corinthians. This Macedonians in 2 Corinthians 8, he writes the Corinthians about them and says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. It's happening even today. When I was in Bristol, England... The story of BNA Church, you know, seven years ago, three struggling churches merging into BNA Church by St. Andrew's Park, and now the budding Emmanuel Anglican Church, all working together for the glory of the gospel, starting with a total of about 60 people. Now, BNA's 100, and Emmanuel's 70. And through their generous giving, BNA of not, not, just, not just their money. Because as I walked into church at 10.30 on Sunday morning, I was greeted with a nine-year-old in this English coffee cake. He said, would you like some cake? <laughs> we got coffee right over here, sir. You know? I'm like, you're the man. You know, what's your name? James. Hello, James. What's, wh- y- are you the greeter today? Yep. You know? You know? I got some other people to go to. Good to see you. Keep moving. <laughs> you know, and they just go with these kids are given this stuff because they'll do the ministry and they're going around. And one of their little churches for their assignment for that Sunday was to greet and be ushers and help lead worship and everything else. It was an amazing sight of people just pitching in, helping the children's ministry. It was glorious. And they can afford now, they started off with about 60. Now, they're 180, like I said, at B&A, 70 at Emmanuel. They can, B&A can afford two full-time ministers, a full-time music minister, 
a financial secretary part-time, a family and youth minister. I looked at James, I go, how in the world do you, how do you afford that? He goes, the sacrifice of the saints. But a home here costs 900,000 pounds. He goes, I know. I know. He goes, it's like the widow's offering. It just is multiplied. That's why I chose this text today. God will multiply it, friends. He always has, and he always does. Because Jesus does not want our money. He wants us. All of us. All in. And yet we cannot give ourselves to him apart from our money. And it's true that our money speaks and it tells us where our hearts are. So what does our giving say about us? And Jesus sits across the treasury of every church and he watches. What does he see in our lives here at Christ Church? And what does he see in your life? Are you all in? Or there are a couple ships out in the harbor you haven't burnt yet. Because he calls us to burn the ships and don't look back. He calls us to the new life in him. Through this journey in Luke, in Luke chapter 9, before his face was set to Jerusalem, he reminded his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. As you well know, as we've talked about all year, taking up the cross means dying to ourselves and to our old way of life and living unto him. And the very, what that means is what Jesus says in the next verse, in verse 24 of chapter 9, he says, anyone who will lose his life for my sake will find it. The life we really want, the life that God wants for us, his plan A is to burn those ships. The ship of regret, the ship of guilt, the ship of successes that I'm still living in, the ship of our old way of life, the ship of child-based parenting rather than biblical parenting, the, the, the ship of my relationships are more important here among earth than my relationship with the Lord, the ship of false identity, just light the flame, pour lighter fluid on it, and <laughs> light it. All in. No turning back. Because as we live like that, that's the type of faith we see in Malachi. The Lord is begging God's people in Malachi's day, put me to the test. Try me in every aspect of your life. But your money shows this. See if I don't provide. See if I don't bless you. So let's put God to the test. For our young people, especially our teenagers, I want to encourage you to fill out a pledge card. My, uh, my life in 1978 was like a normal teenager at the time. My rector stood up on Stewardship Sunday in late November and looked all of us teenagers in the eye of his large evangelical Anglican church there in Northern Virginia, and he said, you have something to offer the Lord. 
Don't think all these nicely dressed adults, just because they have more money than you, that it's more important to the Lord than the gifts that he has given you. Make a pledge. Join us in the ministry. God is pleased with that. So I heard that sermon, and I knew it was in my bank account because I had mowed lawns all, all year. And during the fall of my junior year, you know, I didn't spend any money because I was playing football and I was just too busy. I mean, you know, it was no big deal going to a dance. That was like two bucks back then on Saturday night. So I had 600 bucks in the bank. So I made the pledge, 60 bucks, because I needed the other 540 for Fair Pepper's Texas Barbecue <laughs> and, and some Aerosmith albums and Conway Twitty and Merle Haggard. Such was the life. I didn't realize I had it so good. And you will never find it an easier time of life to do so, quite frankly. For the adults, um, we've talked about it. You know the biblical standard is to shoot for the tithe, the gross. And for some, like this widow, you know, it might be too much right now. Okay, okay. Take a step forward this year. Take a step forward. Take a step forward that measures the posture of your heart will cost you recognizing that God will settle the accounts and he'll say, I know what you gave. Well done. Well done. And for our retirees, I just want to encourage you. I know you're on fixed incomes. I know it's difficult for some of you to, to, to raise your tithe. Look, I don't see your tithe. I, I, I don't care. Just give. Just give. Because, my friends, what we want to do this year on the vestry level is to be able to support Zach more. You know, bring him up to an actual minister's salary and support the children's ministry salary more than it is because it's an unsustainable position at its present cost. And it's the most important ministry we have. And speaking of children's ministry, one of the things we want to do is offer it here at 11 o'clock should a family come by in need a Christian education during this time. We're praying about it. So my point is, don't settle for plan B or plan C because plan B living isn't God's plan for you. It's plan A. Burn the ship. All in. And we'll discover with his plan A, laying down our lives and losing it for his sake, finding the life that we really, truly all wanted. And we'll discover that we never needed plan B with where God was going to take us. So we're going to take a few minutes, and you should have received a pledge card per family. If you're a guest here today, don't worry about it. We're just glad you're here. But I want you to take out that pledge card here, and I'm going to invite Julian to come up and, and play and we're going to make our pledges for 2020. Take a few minutes, fill it out, and then I'm going to have Bob be our usher. And just like releasing us for communion, we're going to be 